This is the California Liberty Project Podcast. Welcome back to the California Liberty Project. My name is Greg, and make sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please do leave a rating there. I know that's one of the more notoriously challenging things. If we get lots of great reviews, it really helps us climb up on the charts. It really helps us um, just get the algorithm going. So thank you very much. Maybe even if a few of you would uh, would consider doing that this week, or if all of you, any, that would be great. So thank you for that. And I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays this past week. Uh, of course, we took Christmas off, and uh, we wanted to get right back to it here for New Year's Eve. So today's podcast is going to be the last of 2022. Two and happy new year and early happy new year. We're looking forward to a great 2023. We're going to be back at it full time, you know, with our weekly podcast on Saturday, January 7th. And it's kind of incredible that we're moving into um, calendar year two on the California Liberty Project. Um, I really appreciate everyone being here with me as we got this whole thing started, got it off the ground. We have a great core of regular listeners, and that core is growing. And once again, thank you all for being here. Um, there are great things coming for the podcast in 2023. Um, you know, little little process improvements. We're going to have more great guests um, that are coming on the show. We're going to have lots of important topics to discuss. We'll get into those in a couple minutes here. And then we're even going to have possibly some debate-style shows or shows where we're talking to people maybe with a, a very different perspective, maybe debating, maybe just having an in-depth discussion. But I think it's really important um, to talk to some some different folks, different even ideologically, uh, you know, as we look at what can we do for California. Obviously, there are big problems in this state. There are lots of things that we're going up against. And I think it'd be good sometimes to talk to some almost ideological opponents from time to time to figure out, like, what are they thinking? Um, why are we coming at things so differently? And what can be done? What should be done um, to move things into more of a liberty perspective for the Californians who are choosing to remain in this state, in California? Um, and we're going to look at what we can actually do here in California. But it had been a really big 2022. Obviously, there was a lot of activism. There was a lot of activity um, politically, culturally, and whatnot here in this state of California. There were some great wins in 2022. There were also some, some big losses. But, you know, I know it's easy to focus on the losses a lot of the time. Let's talk about just some of the wins. Let's, let's take a minute here or even a few seconds, and look at what went right in California. I'd say, number one, first and foremost, we're looking at the defeat, at least for now, of the bad bills like SB 866. Senator Scott Weiner took a big L. He had to pull it um, late this year, late in 2022. Uh, earlier in the year, AB 1993, remember, um, that bill, that awful bill by Buffy Wicks, where basically that was going to be a vax mandate that was going to be forced through on employers and employees. That was pulled. 
There was Senate Bill 871, which was also uh, polled, that was shelved earlier in the year. And I, I can recall several others, I think SB 920 and many others. Now, a lot of those bad bills, that slate of bad bills, had to be pulled or shelved, uh, put on hold by the authors throughout the legislative process up there in Sacramento. And that was some really good news. Now, you're going to run into people, people that we know and like, people uh, in this audience and lots of other audiences, some people are going to say, yeah, 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 they had to pull those bills, but they're going to be coming back at us in 2023, even worse. Well, yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean that we can't take a breather and give someone a high five and just say, you know what, that was hard work. And there are thousands of activists around California. I'm not like taking credit for these wins. I'm a very, very small part. Um, and there are some people who have, were big players in these wins. But nonetheless, there were wins. When bad guys like Wiener and Wicks have to pull their tyrannical bills that are trying to force you to get vaxxed or basically force your children to be vaxxed in school or whatever it is, take away parental rights, take away family, um, family control over medical decisions, all of those terrible things. When they have to shelve those bills because there is not enough support in the state capitol and because people are rising up against their tyrannical bills, that is a good thing. And we all realize none of us are naive here. We've been around California, many of us, a long, long, long time. Some people their whole lives. And we realize how things work in this state. We can celebrate these wins and we can realize that 2023 is going to have some big challenges. We totally get that. So don't be afraid to uh, to celebrate the wins. You know, take take a minute. Um, be grateful for those. So what else was a win? Um, I would say, culturally at least, the masks largely went away. Now, of course, in some of the, the bigger cities in the state, certainly the LAs and the San Francisco's, the actual mandates you know, where, where the county health department and you know, a lot of the buildings, um, you know, the building operators, managers within that county or within those cities, they took away the mandates. But just in general, too, we saw that once the stupid mandates even left the big cities, a lot of the people stopped wearing masks, which I think is a good thing. The mask, I, I hate the mask. I hate the look of it. I think it's, um, it's submissive. I think it... It uh, connotes a culture of fear and submissiveness, and I personally don't like it. Now, there are still people running around out there, especially because they still believe this winter COVID hype, all that nonsense and propaganda. There's still people running around who are wearing masks. You'll see them. You'll see them driving in their cars alone, famously. You know, everyone makes fun of that. Okay, um, I'm not crazy about it. I don't like it either. Um, that's their personal choice, of course. But I think it is a win that the masks largely went away this year. That is a good thing. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we've won, that we'll never have to do the mask battle again. That doesn't mean that you'll never have to take a stand for your rights to not wear the stupid muzzle. You will. I think, I think it is not going away. Um, they tried to bring the masks back with, with what else? With RSV? Um, I guess they didn't try it with monkeypox. I mean, it's going to keep coming at us. But take a breather. <laughs> And just be grateful that a lot of us went around most of this year, for a big chunk of this year, in a pretty normal way with a lot of other normal people. And I think that is a good thing. At least it's a normal thing. We're returning to normal, which is what we want. We want to be left alone. We want to make the medical choices for our children. 
We want to decide if we want to wear a mask. I don't ever again, unless there's some reason to, and I can't foresee a good reason to, but we don't want to wear the masks. We don't want to have those choices made for us by government. And I think it was a small win that even in California, you could go pretty much anywhere in the state, largely, uh, without a mask. Maybe not in a doctor's appointment or in a doctor's office, rather, for an appointment. Um, Maybe not certain dentist offices. That sucks. I hate that. Um, Just like you, I I hate that. I think it's stupid. The mask theater. Um, What we can do is, you know, choose to go to a different doctor or different dentist. Um, Or, you know, just say, okay, well, this is not an intrinsic evil. People can choose to put on the stupid mask for 20 minutes uh, if they need to in a doctor's office or or in the dentist or what have you. Um, I know there are still problems out there. I hate the masks. I'm not saying they're going away forever, but I'm trying to be positive here. I'm trying to look on the bright side. So in addition to the stupid masks that I think are largely going away, and hopefully there's a social stigma to wearing them, I'm all for that, uh, for that social pressure. But then also the mandates went away. Perhaps this is much more important. Um, Even at the federal level with the military, that was finally taken away. Um, A lot of the mandates went away at the stupid county and city level, uh, which is a good thing, obviously. Removing that level of tyranny, which should have never been there in the first place, of course. And I think that all those people who lost jobs and all those people who were humiliated and told you must get this vax or you must test every hour or test every day or every week, whatever the the clown show um, dictate was, I think all those people are owed back pay and apologies, and should be rehired, that goes without saying. Um, So again, once again, I'm trying to be positive here. I'm saying, okay, at least the worst of the tyranny was dialed back a little bit. But that doesn't mean we take our foot off the accelerator at all. We're still going to have to fight the tyranny. It's still coming back in 2023. Um, But at least there are some folks now who don't face uh, being fired over their personal choice to not take the experimental mRNA injections or the J&J injection. Um, I think J&J is pretty much done for. But you know what I'm saying. Um, I think at least we're kind of clawing back some of our liberties and our friends' liberties that should have never been taken away in the first place. Um, So these are little wins. Again, they're the first out of many that we need, um, that we need to achieve and we need to, to win back. And then I think at the broadest possible level, Omicron, which has been with us now for, geez, a little over a year, but all of 2022. I know there are different thoughts on Omicron, really fascinating um, hypotheses out there uh, as far as the origin of Omicron, but it was so mild and it was so attenuated compared to the Delta and other variants. I I can actually look at this in a white-pilled way and say, you know what, this is a really good thing. Omicron came. It was just like a common cold. There was no reason for any of this fear. You get it. You get the natural antibodies. Um, You get that natural immunity. Your T cells do what they're supposed to do. And then basically, it it kind of forced forced the issue on society where there was no need for these stupid boosters, and and many of us think these um, very questionable, experimental, or even dangerous mRNA um, gene therapy boosters, there was no need for them because Omicron was so mild, so attenuated compared to previous um, iterations of the coronavirus 
that you just couldn't really make the argument. And and people lost interest uh, in basically going out and being forced to take these experimental injections. People were like, yeah, no thanks. Um, even the people who chose, the old people and others, who chose to get vaccinated originally, that was their choice or they were scared into it. They got vaccinated. Maybe they even got their, their second dose. But then people were saying, yeah, no, I'm not in this for a constant roller coaster or carousel ride of booster, 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 booster. You know, every three to six months, I got to get another booster. And then you want me to give it to my two-year-old? A lot of people, even the people who weren't hesitant to begin with, a lot of people said, yeah, no, I'm done. I got boosted or I got vaxxed. Well, not me. This is them talking. Some of these people might say, but I got vaxxed. I got boosted. And then I still got COVID. Sorry for the stupid voice, but I don't want people to think that I'm saying I got vaxxed, which I did not. Um, But I think a lot of people who chose to get the injection, once they got sick with COVID and they realized, oh, like everyone else I know, even the unvaxxed people, no one's dying, thank God, of Omicron, um, statistically speaking. This is not a big deal. We're back back into common cold and, and seasonal flu territory with this, and the panic needs to stop. I think most of those people realized that the panic and the ostracizing our neighbors and the quote, othering that the left, you know, they love to use that term. Well, they were the ones who were doing it to the people who chose um, their own path and chose to not receive the injection. All of that needed to stop because it really damaged society. It damaged and divided families in 2022 and, of course, very much so in 2021. But that came to an end. Uh, People realized Omicron was just not dangerous enough to continue abusing and destroying um, society and our our communities, cities, neighborhoods, family relationships, the workplace. You can't force these treatments on people. You can't keep forcing people into these face diapers. Um, Omicron did that because Omicron was so weak and was so attenuated. It, it was like a thank you moment. Again, it doesn't mean that any of our battles for liberty are over. They're not. We must remain etern- eternally vigilant. We can't ever rest back on our laurels. Um, We can't permanently rest. Take a breather over the holidays, though. I hope you did over Christmas um, or Hanukkah, New Year's. You know, take a breather over the holidays that you celebrate. And once again, Merry Christmas. Um, But don't be afraid to, to take the wins and to be grateful and to be thankful. Because like I say, there are definitely battles that are coming up. Um, They're going to meet us in 2023. So be ready for January. Um, now, in terms of losses, I don't want to turn this negative here, but really quick on, on today's episode. Um, losses from last year include AB 2098, which went through. So doctors, nurses, medical professionals, and their freedom of speech, and really your, your privacy, your own medical privacy in consulting with a doctor of your choosing. Well, doctors could lose their license This is another problem with uh, licensing, professional or medical licensing, in my opinion. Um, It becomes a bludgeon, basically, a way to punish uh, doctors and nurses who go against the regime narrative. But all of those professional consequences for doctors and nurses, and then interfering in your patient rights to consult privately with your own doctor and to to talk about your, your worries, maybe, about the vaccine. Um, your your considerations with COVID, how you want to treat it, how you don't want to treat it, um, 
Should ivermectin be used? Should it not be used? What do you want to do personally? How much vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, and so forth? All of those things, even hydroxychloroquine, uh, which for years had been known as an effective treatment against coronaviruses in general when they tried to bring back hydroxychloroquine um, two years ago, you know, that, that was termed quackery. But of course it wasn't. I, I have articles in, in, the, uh, in the medical literature that I've seen that go back to, I think, 2005 or earlier, um, talking about some of these treatments, how, the, how they might be effective. All of those discussions that you might have had with your doctor, those are now illegal or put in peril because of AB2098. Very dangerous bill. That one went through. That was one of the worst of the bad bills. And now we have it on the books in California. Also in 2022, Newsom and the state um, oil and energy regulators, they continued their crackdown on the oil industry, which means more expensive oil and down the line, more expensive gasoline for Californians. Now, oil and gasoline, gas is a refined product, of course. Um, California does not produce all the oil and certainly um, all the petroleum products that it needs here in the state. We import you know, approximately, uh, boy, now we're importing, it's upwards of almost two-thirds of the oil and petroleum products that we need. Um, and we don't have enough in terms of refineries to refine the gasoline and the fuel products that we need here in the state. But um, yeah, the regulation and, and just some of the awful interference and in the cracking down on the oil industry continues. Of course, we've got this oil, oil well setback law, We've talked about that before on the show. Um, it's an awful idea. It's terrible. Um, hopefully there's going to be a two-year stay. This is something that voters might actually see as a referendum on that law in 2024. So we're hoping that the courts put a stay on that for two years because that's going to shut down a lot of oil wells and a lot more oil production in this state. You know, basically what it was saying is that there's a 3,200-foot setback Within that setback or within that radius, you cannot have any sensitive receptors such as schools, churches, um, homes, places of residence, that sort of thing. And, and a bunch of other things are on the list. And what that essentially means is that places that have lots of dense oil wells that are already, even ones that are already drilled and in, in place, lots of places in Orange County, um, lots of places in LA County, Ventura County, and tons in Kern County. Uh, Bakersfield and the oil centers around there. All those places are in danger of shutting down a bunch of oil wells. And then it also curtails new drilling in and around established oil fields where there might be homes or, or residences, what have you, within a half a mile. Well, this is 3,200 feet, so it's intentionally way beyond half a mile. Um, not quite a full mile away, but it's very dangerous. It's just another way to shut down oil industry activity. And of course, we're going to be importing even more oil, even more hydrocarbons from um, different countries. We've talked about that before. And that's a bad thing in terms of liberty, in terms of your personal choice, Californians. You can choose. I don't care if you buy a Tesla or not. I don't care if you like electric cars, if you like lame Priuses. That's up to you. But the point is making it difficult to impossible or more expensive to put gasoline in your car or forcing California to import a lot more oil from abroad. These types of things. Forcing Californians to get away from purchasing um, 
new new internal combustion engine cars by 2035? That's not a market-driven response. That's top-down authoritarianism. And we need to not get used to it. We need to not be used to it at all in this state. And I'm afraid that we are. So that's a bad thing. Um, there are also a bunch of new laws that are going to be taking place in 20, or you know, put in place in 2023 as of January 1st. A lot of those are pretty bad. I'll talk about one in particular here in a second. And then there is the looming threat of new vax mandates for school kids and college kids in 2023. So yes, um, a few minutes ago, I talked about one of our big wins, which was defeating bills like SB 866, SB 871 and such. But the flip side of that coin is that we need to be ready to fight this battle in 2023. It probably is going to come back at us. We'll see if it's coming legislatively or, you know, and Scott Wiener, I don't think he's done. I think he was, um, he's probably pissed, actually, that we collectively had him defeated. We called legislators all over the state, and we got enough legislators to sour on his awful SB 866, where he couldn't push it through. Even with all the, the legislative maneuvering and all the pressure he put and all the glad handing up in Sacramento, he could not push that crap bill through. So we beat him, but it was a nice little victory. It's not going to be a forever victory. As of January 3rd or January 4th, um, we got to be ready to do what we can peacefully, uh, but resolutely, we need to do what we can to stop the next vax mandate bills and more tyrannical bills that are coming at us. And I know there are a lot of great activists who are planning on going up there. I think it's January 4th. They'll be up at Sacramento, up at the state capitol, and they'll, the rallies are going to start in. And I don't want to hear people cr criticizing the rallies. You know, there's so many good people who are bringing, they're bringing new eyeballs. They're bringing attention to the cause. You know, people fight the, the, the battle for liberty in a lot of different ways. And some folks are having these gatherings. Some people are having the rallies, which I think is a good thing. Again, it draws attention to the cause. Other people are calling or are going and meeting with legislators, as I've done. A lot of people have done. We've all had a small part in this. Um, do everything you can. There are a lot of legislators who actually can be persuaded. They can be moved on this when they meet with real people, when you go into their office and, and tell them that these potential bills have really adverse consequences um, and they're not favored by huge chunks of their constituency. Uh, you'd be amazed. Some some legislators, especially the so-called moderates, the moderate Dems, um, a lot of them will be swayed or can be swayed. I'm not saying Senator Scott Wiener is going to be swayed. Forget about him. He's in San Francisco. You know, he's he comes from Nutland, um, Psychotown. So he's not going to be able to be swayed. He needs to be defeated, legislatively speaking. Um, so we need to be vigilant, as I mentioned. I think I've said it probably five times so far, but um, in January, we're really going to need to be on our toes looking for what's coming at us out of Sacramento. And so one of the, the new, um, well, it's not even a new law. One of the laws that's going to ratchet up and take effect on January 1st is this continuing minimum wage increase here in the state. So as of January 1st, the minimum wage in California um, for basically all businesses large and now small businesses as well. It doesn't matter how many employees you have. They're, 
as I understand it, very few um, loopholes, very few exceptions exist here. So $15.50. The march toward insanity continues. Um, and that's, like I say, for all businesses. This comes down from the Department of Industrial Relations. Wow, that sounds communist in nature. It sounds like something in Moscow, Russia. Department of Industrial Re Relations. I actually looked it up because that, that sounded so creepy. It was created in 1927, and I guess... That particular department has lots of subunits or subdepartments, and one of them is Cal OSHA. I didn't realize that Cal OSHA was under this DIR, Department of Industrial Relations. Um, but there are a bunch of other subunits and departments that, in my opinion, shouldn't exist. Like Cal OSHA shouldn't exist. Um, it just gets in the way of, of uh, sensible workplace policies, um, sensible workplace arrangements between management, the company owners, and then the workers. Um, so you go to this Department of Industrial Relations website, and it's hilarious. It mentions these fantasy and Bigfoot terms like economic justice, you know, in quotes, and wage theft. Let me tell you something. Wage theft, I know the left now, they kind of invent these new terms, and they try to get these new terms into the lexicon. So wage theft, like who is for wage theft? They say wage theft now should be illegal or we're going to fight wage theft. Well, be careful of these cute little terms. They don't mean stealing. It doesn't mean thievery. It doesn't mean breaking a contract, which I'm against all those things. Um, like everyone, everyone's against all those things, which are already illegal, by the way. So wage theft, when you hear that, it's it's a sneakier term that they're going to, they throw in there um, to talk about things that are not direct thievery necessarily. And things like, um, yeah, boy, I'd have to think of all the, I should have written down and made notes of all the, the different examples. Um, but there's a lot more gray area there in terms of wage theft. I think it's things like not giving a worker a long enough break or not being um, totally transparent with, with this or that. Yeah, I'm not even saying all those things are good. They're not good. They're not ethical necessarily. But now we have law upon law upon law and regulation just it's like a layer cake. You know, you just slap one law on top of another, more regulation, another government agency, and it doesn't necessarily improve the actual lot of of workers in the workplace. Um, so a lot of these things are like 100 years old. Um, these departments, they, they date back to like the uh, kind of the New Deal era, New Deal thinking from the progressives, you know, that workers are always under assault in some factory. You know, it's it's almost like Marxism, um, warmed over American-style Marxism. And um, I'm not a big fan. Um, I believe in the free market. I believe in the, the freedom of individuals to sell their labor to whomever they wish at whatever price they wish. And you, we got to remember that. A minimum wage is just, well, a wage period. Any wage, any salary is just a price. It's a price for labor. And so those of you who have been with us for several episodes, remember we, we did an episode on Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson with my buddy Blas Carrasco. And we went through this. Um, wages are an important price signal. Again, a price for labor. And what they've done here in California with, um, with this legislation and the Department of Industrial Relations... These planners and um, economic interventionists, 
have just made it illegal for anyone to work for less than fifteen fifty an hour. They've taken away your rights as a worker. See, it, they have everyone thinks of the minimum wage law in an inverted way. It isn't like, yeah, stick it to the stick it to that evil factory owner, that evil capitalist. What they're doing, the flip side of it is is basically taking away your right to work for a wage that you would agree to if that wage is less than what the government says it can be. So a lot of people are going to think, oh, that's great. That's great, right? It just means that everyone who has a job will just get paid more. No, that is not correct. The problem is any employee, any potential employee or applicant for a job who is not deemed to be worth $15.50 an hour, well, those people will remain unemployed. And even if they do find a job um, because the employer is really desperate or hard up to fill the position, they're going to be the first ones who will be let go in tough times or during layoffs. If you're not worth $15.50 an hour, not as a human being, but if you can't provide that business with that added productivity and with that added value as perceived by the person paying the wage, because you know, that kind of value is subjective. It depends on who is the business owner, who's the manager of that company or that business. It doesn't matter what the Department of Industrial Relations thinks. Um, you know, that's, that's another Marxist thing, the labor theory of value. You, we get away from that. We look at how we value things subjectively in a marketplace. That's how prices are established. Um, but basically, if you cannot provide that amount of value for, in this case, $15.50, you're probably going to remain unemployed, as I said. You're not going to be able to find a job. And in a, in a, in a, in a say, an economy that's going into recession, like we could be or already are, um, when things get tough, people might say, you know what, I'd love to work for $15.50 an hour, but I can't find a job that maybe pays that much. So I will work for $15.25 an hour because I, I just need the experience. Um, I need a job to put on my resume or I just have to you know, um, save up for a car if I'm a teenager or what have you. Well, what's, what's happened is that any wages, obviously less than $15.50 an hour, even wages that a teenager or someone might agree to, say for $15 an hour or $14 an hour, all of those wages are now illegal. So you're going to have a harder time. There are going to be fewer jobs that actually pay $15.50. They made it illegal for you to sell your labor for less than $15.50 an hour. It's a form of price control. And price controls also bomb out. They don't work. Um, and that's a whole separate episode on economics. But this is, yeah, it's somewhat somewhat of a passion of mine. I'm interested in this stuff. And um, putting price caps in or price floors... Um, you know, re restricting people um, from accepting a job or from selling labor for a certain price. That's interference in the market and it always has adverse and harmful effects every time. Um, the higher minimum wage provides a disincentive to small businesses when they try to hire inexperienced workers. Um, and as I mentioned, particularly those who are not yet providing that perceived $15.50 in value. So I'm against it. Um, a lot of the folks, you know, who might consider working for 12, 14, even $15 an hour, some of them will remain unemployed or they might even have to 
to leave the state, you know, to find to find work, to find more opportunities, because California is shutting down opportunities that would pay $15 an hour. Every small business cannot afford to bump up their payroll by 5% or 10% or even 1%. It's not up to the state of California to determine what's best for a worker. You know who it's up to? It's up to that worker subjectively. What do they want to work for? And can they find a job that will pay them that amount? If the worker can't find any job in a free market paying them what they demand, like if they wanted $100 an hour, well, that worker might have to settle for less than $100 an hour. And that's how prices get established. A wage is a price for labor. Okay, so beyond that, beyond my rantings and ravings on that, $15.50 an hour even even now that it's going to be established on January 1st, that's not a, a living wage, in scare quotes, living wage. That's not a living wage in this state anyway. Um, it's preposterous. So why aren't they just raising the minimum wage to 25 or 30 or $50 an hour? And see, this, this point gets made every time there's a minimum wage discussion. And it'll never be ab- abandoned. We're not going to abandon this point. Literally ask the progressives and the Democrats... What is it that prevents you from setting the $15.50 an hour? Why not just set that minimum wage at $30 an hour or $40 an hour so pretty much everyone could have a living wage, um, at least for the time being? Of course, if you bump up everyone's wages, that's going to have a a mini inflationary effect um, locally, and that's going to have its own harmful effects, and then people won't be able to afford everything. But okay, put all that aside. Why don't progressives just put the minimum wage at $30 an hour? And so there's either a good reason or not a good reason why they do this, right? But if they say, oh, well, that would be too much. That might have some harmful effects on companies who can't afford to pay their workers that or small businesses. Then at that point, you talk to the progressive and say, well, aha, now we've identified why even $15.50 an hour might not be good for some small businesses that operate on a really thin or tight margin, right? We can't dictate what everyone should pay their workers. It shouldn't be the same for everyone or for every company or for every small business, obviously. So whatever reason they give you, that is a progressive gives you, for not paying people a $40 an hour minimum wage, well, that same reason applies to many companies and small businesses at fifteen fifty an hour. Keep that in mind, especially if you get into a little debate with uh, with relatives or something over the holidays. Keep that in mind. Ask them why do we not just do the fifty dollar or forty dollar an hour minimum wage, and then take those same reasons and apply them to fifteen fifty, because they bear out. And uh, this stuff about a living wage is hogwash. Fifteen fifty an hour in this state of California, almost anywhere in this state is not a living wage, at least for a family. And I don't even know when we all agreed that um, $15.50 an hour, like, or a minimum wage, or, or any wage, any hourly wage. When did we all agree agree on that, that it should be a minimum wage? Whatever happened to part-time work? Have they ever heard of part-time work? Or is everyone raising a family of 14 kids in an old abandoned shoe or some factory, everyone's trying to raise a bunch of kids on uh, $12 an hour from a burger flipping job. And I'm not trying to denigrate burger flipping jobs, but can teens that don't have any skills or haven't gone to college or haven't learned a trade, can we allow them to have a first job? 
can we pay them maybe what the market would would say they're worth, which is maybe six, seven, eight dollars an hour? I'm guessing because I don't know. I don't have that economic calculation. It doesn't exist. Why don't we let the market figure it out so teens could get part-time work after school and just learn how to, to um, hold a job, well, find a job, keep a job, learn some responsibility, work that job for a year, maybe two years, and then go on and do other things? Could we not have that? It's like a foreign concept now. We all have to pretend that part-time jobs don't exist. Everyone's got to have health care from their employer, and everyone's got to have a living wage. It's absolute insanity. Remember that. Why, why wouldn't there be some jobs, a few jobs for teenagers that maybe pay them eight bucks an hour so they can gain some experience, period? They're not worth fifteen fifty an hour, I'm guessing. It's not my business, but I'm guessing that that's way too much money for someone who hasn't even graduated high school yet, perhaps. You know, we, we're all bought into this sob story. Again, if someone who has a, a whole family to raise on fifteen fifty an hour, and no doubt there are some people out there like that. And, you know, for those folks, this will probably work out great if they retain their job, if they're not, if they get hired at that exorbitant wage. Okay, it's better for them, but it, of course, is worse for the employer. Remember, economics in one lesson, go back to that lesson. When you do something to benefit one person, there's going to be someone on the other side of the equation. So government's picking sides and progressives are always going to pick, I assume, the worker or certainly the union side, assuming that management or the factory owner or the capitalist is bad. Well, that's all Marxist hogwash. Even if they're not quoting Das Kapital or Marx directly, these people are all bought into Marxist hogwash. They think that you can calculate what someone is actually worth, whereas you can't. It's subjective. Every company, every business owner is going to have a different idea of valuation of what they can actually pay that price of labor. Ah, it just, uh, this really burns me up because um, it's, it's basic economics. Certainly, you don't have to be even from the Austrian school to understand a lot of this. Um, a lot of problems with the minimum wage. Anyway, so that is going in January 1st here in California. Um, it's going to continue changing the labor market. You're going to see more kiosks and fast food. And don't let the unions, don't let progressives tell you that there aren't consequences. There are consequences. Fewer teens will get hired. Um, when they do hire people, small businesses and fast food restaurants, it's going to be um, some older folks. They won't have as many jobs as they had before um, at $14 an hour or at $13 an hour. $15.50 is going to mean that it's more expensive and hence there'll be, a, there'll be a few less jobs out there available to folks. And then... As they continue cranking up the hourly wage, that minimum wage, um, and it's even higher in certain progressive cities within the state too. They go above and beyond the state minimum wage. So as you continue cranking up that minimum wage, we're going to see new technologies that allow businesses to compete, that give maybe the same level or similar levels of productivity, but they're going to not have to pay an inanimate object or a kiosk fifteen fifty an hour. So congratulations, progressives. You've waded into the danger of unintended consequences once again. It never fails. And then in other news too, um, I was looking at the Wall Street Journal and they had an interesting editorial piece on Wednesday 
talking about how California's exodus continues. So California continues to lose population and residents to other states. And this is, this is crazy, but in, in this past year, California lost 343,230 residents to other states on a net basis. So a lot more people were moving out rather than moving in to this state. 343,000 more people left the state than moved into the state. That, of course, is a uh, Newsom. Newsom, that's a, we're a leader. You know how Newsom wants to say California leads the nation? Well, we led the nation again. Way to go, uh, Newsom. You're number one. Let me, let me look at this article here. Um, number two is New York at 299,000 people leaving the state. Number three, Illinois had 141,000 people leave the state on net. Um, all these numbers are, are net. Uh, so you, you basically, you add up or you combine the people that are leaving versus the people coming in. Uh, New Jersey, Massachusetts. What, so what do you notice about the, the top five right there? These are the top five um, biggest losers in the nation in terms of population, net population loss. That's right, they're all blue states. Now, I don't care about Republican, Democrat, the Republican Party. This isn't a Republican's rah, rah, rah thing. This is more of a Democrats suck thing. The way Democrats run states, they run them into the ground and people want to leave. That's what thing this is. I don't care about the Republicans. It's not that they're all doing a great job. I think uh, overall, Ron DeSantis is, has been a very effective governor in, in Florida, but that's not because he's Mr. Republican. It's because he's taking bold stands and trying to actually govern the state constitutionally. And he's doing what he can do to make that state safe and um, normal and not insane. And hence, people are moving to places like Florida by the tune of 318,000 plus. Um, so basically the inverse of California. This is so stark. I mean, Newsom wants to go at, at uh, Governor DeSantis. Well, this is so just black and white right here, staring him in the face. 343,000 more people are leaving California versus 318,000 more people are entering and moving Florida. Texas, of course, number two, 230,000. North Carolina, South Carolina are three and four. Tennessee, five, followed by Georgia, Arizona, Idaho, Alabama, and Oklahoma round out the top 10 for states that are gaining population on a net basis domestically. So it's totally stark. The only so-called Republican state that I can see that's on the... Um, in the top 10 for uh, biggest population loss is Louisiana. But this is totally stark. California, New York, Illinois are the top three versus Florida, Texas, and the Carolinas in the top four in terms of gaining. It's incredible. So um, those are the direct results of failed policies. Thank you, Newsom. And thank you, Ron DeSantis. You can see on the negative and then you can see on the positive sides, respectively. Newsom versus DeSantis. DeSantis wins again. People are moving to Florida. And it's not all, it's not just because of the weather. People are moving to Texas as well. There's a lot of heat, a lot of humidity, a lot of cold. It's not that. It's not for the mountains, right? It's not for, oh, Yosemite in the National Park. California is a beautiful state, the state where we live. It's being trashed by progressives like Newsom. This is stark. And guess what? 
when you look at county by county numbers, there were huge population drops out of LA County, San Francisco County, and Santa Clara County. Um, So for those that don't know, Santa Clara County includes like San Jose and Silicon Valley, essentially. Um, That whole area where there are a lot of tech companies where they're moving people out of the state. Um, So a lot of the tech bros are actually leaving California. I know everyone's going to be sad in, in San Francisco. But, you know, California continues to, to be an insane place um, to live. There are so many great communities here, so many great neighborhoods, so many great people here. But in terms of the insanity that we're dealing with, you know, the median home price continues to hover around $800,000. Um, California has some of the lowest ranked public schools by a lot of measures. Um, high poverty rates, um, by many measure, measures, some of the highest in the nation. Our cities, many of them have the highest auto theft and petty crime and theft rates. We have the highest, if not the second highest, um, income taxes in the United States. Certainly have the highest gas, fuel, excise taxes in the United States. So we have the highest price gasoline. You know, we're always up there with Hawaii, another um, progressive heaven there. But... um, Yeah, and then highest vehicle registration fees as well. I mean, everything is expensive here. Almost every single thing, except um, property taxes. That's a bright spot because of, um, oh boy, what was it, Prop 13. Um, It it comes up, you know, that property tax protection, where progressives want to get rid of that too. I'll have to do a show on that. Um, So they can price retirees and and other low-income folks out of their homes here in California. Brilliant, right? Anyway, California is, it is our home, but we have a lot of problems um, such as these that I just mentioned. Um, And, you know, I think with that, I I do want to say, you know, go back to be thankful and celebrate those small victories once again. That's a theme I want to hit. Don't feel bad about high-fiving your compadres and your allies. Celebrate those victories Um, rest up over New Year's. Happy New Year to all of you, but then get ready to hit the ground running in January of 2023. And I really thank you guys. Thanks everyone for taking a chance on this podcast in 2022. Still feels brand new to me, but now we're getting a little bit more seasoned and we're growing and I'm hoping to do some, some more exciting little things in 2023. And Make sure to come back. Make sure to recommend the show to one additional person, even if it's just one more person that you think would be interested in. I'd love to expand the audience. I'd love to hear back from all of you. Email me at californialibertyproject at protonmail.com. And thank you very much for being on this journey with me. And uh, come back next week. Saturday, January 7th, we're starting out the new year with a great guest. Um, Hint. You've seen him on Fox News. You've seen him on a lot of national shows. And he is the anti-PC, anti-woke, former NYU professor. So we'll be joined by that individual. Make sure to be here on Saturday, January 7th. And until then, Happy New Year. God bless. And get rested up because we got a lot of work to do in 2023. See you next week. This has been the California Liberty Project Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share it with others, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.